Toe for You with Colin Cullis is proudly sponsored by Revix, the smartest way to invest in cryptocurrencies. If you have already listened to previous episodes, you should be feeling a little more comfortable with what cryptos are about. If this is your first one you're hearing, welcome. This is as good a place as any to begin to understand what the potential for cryptos could be. In this episode, we will look at how it forms both part of the current financial system and how it may come to rival or even replace it. To understand how it could work as a financial system, you need to understand how the current system works. And that may be challenging in itself. I'm sure though that Sean Saunders, the Revix CEO, will help. Not only to get your head around the current system, but what a revised system that uses crypto might look like too. The current system grew out of a need to exchange products of varying value without having to trade the actual goods. Money solves this problem. But as traders become more global, money has tended to remain in the country of its origin. The dollar is the closest thing to a global currency. But you have to be willing to accept that the U.S. government will decide how it is used. Along with governments, you will have banks, both private and state-run, that can further restrict what you can and can't do and charge you for doing something that cryptos have devised a way to do for much less. And then there's managing not just what the product costs, but the relative strength or weakness of the currency itself. So the cost of something can vary just because the currency does. If you order something that you need to pay for in three months or more, you may find a good deal becomes a bad one just because one of the currencies changed. So let's look at the centralized banking system, the degree to which uh, each government can control the currency, the ease or difficulty of completing transactions, and what we can expect in the future. Sean, let's begin with how ready the crypto systems are to begin to replicate the functioning of banks. Considering they have a good couple of hundred years head start, has crypto managed to support it in just 10 years? Unfortunately, crypto has not been able to surpass the banking system in just 10 years, but it's getting there. I mean, it has become a trillion dollar asset class and it's achieved that one trillion dollar value faster than any other investment category ever. Right. So that's a testament to the growth of this asset class in this category. There is a lot that still needs to be done in this space. But if you look at what's going on with the likes of Ethereum, the likes of Polkadot, the likes of Chainlink and the growth of the decentralized finance industry, DeFi, if you haven't heard of DeFi, it's something we speak about in another episode. But this is super exciting stuff. All of a sudden, you've got programs just like little applications that exist on your phone that are able to replicate the entire function of a banking unit. And what I mean by that is you go to a bank to get a mortgage. I don't know how many people that are listening have gone to a bank to get a mortgage. It's a painful process and it costs you a lot of money. Now imagine being able to get a mortgage from 100,000 different people across the globe. They don't know who you are. And that is the power behind decentralized finance. And that's just one sphere. Brokerage and the exchange of assets for one for another uh, is another area that decentralized finance is really caught on. And it's just incredibly exciting to see how the space has grown. And you've actually seen, if I'm not mistaken, and I stand to be corrected and naturally when you're listening to this the times would have changed but you saw one billion dollars of locked up value in DeFi at the start of February by July you had 69 billion dollars which is an incredible amount of growth in just six months I mean that's absolutely insane so that just shows how quickly the space has grown yeah and I imagine that pace of growth is going to make some people very optimistic and others quite nervous because as much as something can grow that quickly, who knows what might happen to it if, uh, if things aren't managed carefully. And, and I wonder then if Revix and I imagine governments do have a concern with, with protecting those that are using the financial system and to make sure that those systems are, are sort of managed in, in the benefit of the people who are using it. You mentioned uh, getting a mortgage and using the sort of decentralized versions for doing that. Uh, there might be some people who say, well, how do you know the loan would be a good one? It's one thing to ask for a loan, but would it necessarily work? But the flip side is also 
kind of true in that in the banking system, you'd want it to be about the investments, whereas a lot of the times the currencies are locked up to the political systems of the governments that sort of you know operate them. And we've seen enough examples of governments who follow political plans to try and improve the economy or do something for the population, only to find that it didn't quite square with economically what was possible. How do you see the cryptos managing or removing that part where government's intervention becomes less of a thing and it becomes purely about the economics uh, and, and the value, the intrinsic value of the assets underneath it? So I don't see governments really stepping away from the financial system at all. I mean, they're always going to be involved and they probably should be involved to some degree when, I mean, again, this is my opinion, when looking at how to protect consumers. So this is a regulator getting involved. Now, when you're looking at the way that the current banking system works, you have something that is called reserve banking, right? So reserve banking means a bank needs to keep, and obviously this differs from country to country, but one rand for every hundred rand that they lend out. This is how money is created in society. Now, that system has some flaws and it's got obviously some benefits, but it is one of the reasons why cryptocurrencies have emerged in the way that they have. There's no limit to the number of rands, dollars, pounds, etc. that can be printed and introduced into society. Just last year alone, you saw 18% of all the dollars in circulation get printed and introduced into society. 18%. I mean, that is an incredibly large amount that has been introduced into society. We've never had that happen before. So the question is, what does that mean for the long-term value of the dollar? Because at the other end of the spectrum, you've got cryptocurrencies, right? Now, what are cryptocurrencies denominated in? Dollars. Now, if the dollar declines, does the cryptocurrency value go up? Potentially. And this is the sort of you know opportunity that you're really looking at when you're looking at alternative currencies. Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Argentina, a whole host of other countries have, I mean, arguably even South Africa, you've seen currencies depreciate over an extended period of time. It's that that is you know, the big problem in the financial system today. People's life savings get wiped out over extended periods of time. And the idea of having a finite cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin or Litecoin is really the big opportunity when you're looking at investing in these things. The internet brought access to better information, entertainment and trade to the world. The mobile phone allowed everyone to connect. The current financial system still excludes many from using all of it, while cryptos being purely digital and internet-based may lower that barrier. How do you see it being used in society, both for access and functionality? Well, we've spoken about the unbanked populations for such a long time, and the governments are working on a bunch of initiatives to provide bank accounts and loans to these people that are unbanked. They've not been able to achieve that. Why? Because, you know, making a payment costs money. Doing various things in the financial ecosystem requires some intermediary, whether it be a bank's compliance team or whoever, but to actually engage with that individual. The other thing is, if you're looking at some of the success stories in North and East Africa, such as M-Pesa, so these are mobile wallets. This is sort of, you know, a new kind of monetary system as well where you're able to use an alternative currency or form of currency to exchange value. Now, that's really powerful because all of a sudden you can have communities that rely on the sort of source of currency or the source of value creation and value transfer that isn't necessarily as volatile as maybe, say, the RAND or you know some other emerging market currency. And that's quite valuable when you're looking to import goods uh, or looking to export various services and whatnot. So I think that's a big opportunity. Um, ultimately, what's the biggest barrier to entry when you're looking at somebody that is unbanked? It's really getting them into that financial system, allowing them to make payments to other people, allowing them to take out loans, repaying those loans. How do you actually say whether or not this person's uh, loan worthy, if you want to call it that, and credit worthy? And that's really the big opportunity in this decentralized finance space because, hell, maybe I, as Sean, want to invest in somebody that would pay a higher interest rate and take the gamble where, listen, maybe I'll lose my money, but I can invest 
invest in this person that otherwise wouldn't have access to that capital. And in just the same respect, I could borrow money and maybe say, well, listen, I don't want to borrow money from the bank and go through that lengthy process. Uh, so that's really the big opportunity here as well. And just to confirm that the biggest saving here is the lowering of the cost that generally uh, you know, banks are companies and they look to use fees as a way of making money. With El Salvador having gone the first country, and I suppose they'll remain famous because they were the first country to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. But the real reason was effectively that they rely a lot on remittances and the costs for sending money back to El Salvador was prohibitive. This effectively, if, if it doesn't solve it completely, will certainly make those other companies that do do remittances lower their prices. So this is one of the ways that, again, access and benefit society uh, would be in place, right? Yeah, completely. I think people don't really understand, and unless maybe you actually are engaging in international payments, I mean, making a payment out of South Africa, I mean, let's be real, that's super expensive, right? Bringing money into this country costs between 7 to 12% depending on who you are. I mean, that's also incredibly expensive. People don't realize as well, when you buy foreign currency, there's this bid-ask spread. So you've got two different prices of that currency. You get charged for that as well as that, that fee that you get from your bank and whatnot. Uh, with crypto, you're removing all those fees. The only fees that you would have would be the mining or staking fees that you would need. Uh, we can get into mining and staking in another episode as well. There's some more jargon. <laughs> I think the innovation in the crypto space is incredible, but we have gone from one in 2009 to thousands now, each claiming to solve some significant issue that has hampered the others. Many are simply clones with silly names. Who or how will the rules be set up to build a great system rather than hundreds of average ones? So this is survival of the fittest right here. You've got the projects that get consumer attention that get uh, investor attention they're the ones that are going to succeed as i've said before you know if you're looking at the largest cryptocurrencies in the space bitcoin ethereum polkadot chainlink cardano these cryptocurrencies have billion dollar market caps in some case you know with Bitcoin, that's a trillion dollar market cap. That's money that people have put behind Bitcoin. They've invested in Bitcoin. So they're putting their money where their mouth is and where their beliefs are to say that this is where value is. And ultimately, that's a free market. Property prices cost what they do because there's demand and supply. When you've got more demand than supply, the price of whatever the asset is goes up until that gets to an equilibrium. And I think we're quite far off from that equilibrium if you're looking at sort of the longer term price charts of any cryptocurrency, really. Having said that, I mean, you should not be going out there and gambling on, in my opinion, a variety of different in cryptocurrencies. You should not just be you know, throwing money at some of the smaller altcoins as they call them. Uh, you've got the larger, more reputable cryptocurrencies uh, with very robust uh, you know, track records. They're on reputable exchanges. They've been vetted. Their software has been vetted by professionals. That's all really important. So when you're looking at investing in the crypto space, our belief is that you should look no further than the top 10 cryptocurrencies and maybe at most the top 20. Uh, if you start looking below that, it's not to say that the cryptocurrency doesn't have value or the development team isn't absolutely phenomenal, but it's just a lot easier to sort of manipulate the market. And you know, you've heard about, about these pump and dump schemes that exist out there and you don't want to be part of that really. So to avoid that, you know, looking at some of the bigger, more valuable projects is better. It's fair to say that the person that made the first Bitcoin transaction in 2010 did not see Bitcoin becoming worth tens of thousands of dollars, considering it was happy to spend 10000 to buy some pizzas. This voice note looks to not want to repeat that mistake. Hi, Colin and Sean. Uh, looking towards the future of Bitcoin, where do you see the industry in the future? Say the year 2030, how do we know it's not a phase or a craze? So 2030, my word, in the crypto space, there's a lot that will happen by then. If you think about the internet in the early days, I mean, it was clunky, it was difficult to use, there was loads of jargon, and it just took time for people to get comfortable with it. It is this fast emerging space. And I think if you start looking at where crypto is going to go, you're going to have more central banks buying Bitcoin. You're going to have other countries accept Bitcoin as legal tender. You're, of course, going to see other fiat currencies fail, right? I mean, Argentina's fiat currencies failed. You've seen Zimbabwe's fiat currencies failed. I mean, there's a trend. Fiat currencies fail. I mean, it's actually quite a new experiment, the whole 
whole idea of having government-issued fiat currencies that aren't backed by gold or anything like that. So I think the hyper-Bitcoinization, if you want to call it that, that will occur in society, that'll happen. I, I really do see that you'll have Bitcoin being worth $100,000. You'll see it being worth more than gold at some point in time. Again, these are just my personal opinions and not you know financial advice or anything, but we're just at the start of a really interesting evolution that's taking place here. And that's why you'll hear a lot of people talking about the financial revolution and the backbone of that being crypto and blockchain. It looks like the future is bright and that if banks, governments and the crypto industry were to find a way to use what works with the current systems while adding the new or replacing the parts that don't work may just be ready in time to start working on an interplanetary financial system and the fun that that may bring. Hopefully by then you would have made use of the chance to have visited Revix.com, the crypto investment platform that has made this podcast possible. My thanks to Sean Sanders, the Revix CEO, for the answers, and to Nicola Bruns for producing it. It is published by Prime Media Broadcasting and presented by me, Colin Cullis. We are going to the next level in future episodes as we look at smart contracts and dive deeper into what decentralized finance may hold. If you have not subscribed yet, please do. And if there is someone that may benefit from understanding a bit more about this place, if you have not subscribed yet, please do. And if there is someone that may benefit from understanding a bit more about this space, please share it. Thanks for joining us. You are now more future-proof than you were 15 minutes ago. Don't be left behind. To start investing in crypto, just go to Revix.com and sign up for free today.